Letter five of the Love Letters of Abelard and Eloise. Translated by Anonymous. Edited by Israel Gallants. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Laura Koskinen. Letter five. Eloise to Abelard. Dear Abelard, you expect, perhaps, that I should accuse you of negligence. You have not answered my last letter, and, thanks to heaven, in the condition I am now in, it is a relief to me that you show so much insensibility for the passion which I betrayed. At last, Abelard, you have lost Eloise for ever. Notwithstanding all the oaths I made to think of nothing but you, and to be entertained by nothing but you, I have banished you from my thoughts. I have forgot you. Thou charming idea of a lover I once adored, thou wilt be no more my happiness. Dear image of Abelard, thou wilt no longer follow me, no longer shall I remember thee. O celebrity and merit of that man who, in spite of his enemies, is the wonder of the age. O oh, enchanting pleasures to which Eloise resigned herself, you, you have been my tormentors. I confess my inconstancy, Abelard, without a blush. Let my infidelity teach the world that there is no depending on the promises of women. We are all subject to change. This troubles you, Abelard, this news without surprises you. You never imagined Eloise could be inconstant. She was prejudiced by such a strong inclination towards you that you cannot conceive how time could alter it. But be undeceived. I am going to disclose to you my falseness, though, instead of reproaching me, I persuade myself you will shed tears of joy. When I tell you what rival hath ravished my heart from you, you will praise my inconstancy, and pray this rival to fix it. By this you will know that tis God alone that takes Eloise from you. Yes, my dear Abelard, he gives my mind that tranquillity which a vivid remembrance of our misfortunes formerly forbade. Just heaven! What other rival could take me from you? Could you imagine it possible for a mere human to blot you from my heart? Could you think me guilty of sacrificing the virtuous and learned Abelard to any other but God? No, I believe you have done me justice on this point. I doubt not you are eager to learn what means God used to accomplish so great an end. I will tell you, that you may wonder at the secret ways of providence. Some few days after you sent me your last letter, I fell dangerously ill. The physicians gave me over, and I expected certain death. Then it was that my passion, which always before seemed innocent, grew criminal in my eyes. My memory represented faithfully to me all the past actions of my life, and I confess to you pain for our love was the only pain I felt. Death, which till then I had only viewed from a distance, now presented itself to me as it appears to sinners. I began to dread the wrath of God, 
now I was near experiencing it, and I repented that I had not better used the means of grace. Those tender letters I wrote to you, those fond conversations I have had with you, give me as much pain now as they had formerly given pleasure. Ah, miserable Eloise, I said, if it is a crime to give oneself up to such transports, and if, after this life is ended, punishment certainly follows them, why didst thou not resist such dangerous temptations? Think on the tortures prepared for thee, consider with terror the store of torments, and recollect, at the same time, those pleasures which thy deluded soul thought so entrancing. Ah, dost thou not despair for having rioted in such false pleasures? In short, Abelard, imagine all the remorse of mind I suffered, and you will not be astonished at my change. Solitude is insupportable to the uneasy mind. Its troubles increase in the midst of silence, and retirement heightens them. Since I have been shut up in these walls, I have done nothing but weep our misfortunes. This cloister has resounded with my cries, and, like a wretch condemned to eternal slavery, I have worn out my days with grief. Instead of fulfilling God's merciful design towards me, I have offended against Him. I have looked upon this sacred refuge as a frightful prison, and have borne with unwillingness the yoke of the Lord. Instead of purifying myself with a life of penitence, I have confirmed my condemnation. What a fatal mistake! But, Abelard, I have torn off the bandage which blinded me, and if I dare rely upon my own feelings, I have now made myself worthy of your esteem. You are to me no more the loving Abelard, who constantly sought private conversations with me by deceiving the vigilance of our observers. Our misfortunes gave you a horror of vice, and you instantly consecrated the rest of your days to virtue, and seemed to submit willingly to the necessity. I, indeed, more tender than you, and more sensible to pleasure, bore misfortune with extreme impatience. And you have heard my exclaimings against your enemies. You have seen my resentment in my late letters. It was this, doubtless, which deprived me of the esteem of my Abelard. You were alarmed at my repinings, and, if the truth be told, despaired of my salvation. You could not foresee that Eloise would conquer so reigning a passion. But you were mistaken, Abelard. My weakness, when supported by grace, has not hindered me from winning a complete victory. Restore me, then, to your esteem. Your own piety should solicit you to this. But what secret trouble rises in my soul? What unthought-of emotion now rises to oppose the resolution I have formed to sigh no more for Abelard? Just heaven, have I not triumphed over my love? Unhappy Eloise, 
as long as thou drawest a breath, it is decreed thou must love Abelard. Weep, unfortunate wretch, for thou never hadst a more just occasion. I ought to die of grief. Grace had overtaken me, and I had promised to be faithful to it. But now am I perjured once more, and even Grace is sacrificed to Abelard. This sacrilege fills up the measure of my iniquity. After this, how can I hope that God will open to me the treasure of his mercy, for I have tired out his forgiveness? I began to offend him from the first moment I saw Abelard. An unhappy sympathy engaged us both in a guilty love, and God raised us up an enemy to separate us. I lament the misfortune which lighted upon us, and I adore the cause. Ah, I ought rather to regard this misfortune as the gift of heaven, which disapproved of our engagement and parted us, and I ought to apply myself to extirpate my passion. How much better it were to forget entirely the object of it than to preserve a memory so fatal to my peace and salvation? Great God, shall Abelard possess my thoughts for ever? Can I never free myself from the chains of love? But perhaps I am unreasonably afraid. Virtue directs all my acts, and they are all subject to grace. Therefore, fear not, Abelard. I have no longer those sentiments, which being described in my letters, have occasioned you so much trouble. I will no more endeavor, by the relation of those pleasures our passion gave us, to awaken any guilty fondness you may yet feel for me. I free you from all your oaths. Forget the titles of lover and husband, and keep only that of father. I expect no more from you than tender protestations, and those letters so proper to feed the flame of love. I demand nothing of you but spiritual advice and wholesome discipline. The path of holiness, however thorny it be, will yet appear agreeable to me, if I may but walk in your footsteps. You will always find me ready to follow you. I shall read with more pleasure the letters in which you shall describe the advantages of virtue than ever I did those in which you so artfully instilled the poison of passion. You cannot now be silent without a crime. When I was possessed with so violent a love, and pressed you so earnestly to write to me, how many letters did I send you before I could obtain one from you? You denied me in my misery the only comfort which was left me, because you thought it pernicious. You endeavored by severities to force me to forget you, nor do I blame you. But now you have nothing to fear. This fortunate illness, with which providence has chastised me for my good, has done what all human efforts and your cruelty in vain attempted. I see now the vanity of that happiness we had set our hearts upon, as if it were eternal. What fears, what distress, have we not suffered for it? 
No, Lord, there is no pleasure upon earth but that which virtue gives. The heart, amidst all worldly delights, feels a sting. It is uneasy and restless until fixed on thee. What have I not suffered, Abelard, whilst I kept alive in my retirement those fires which ruined me in the world? I saw with hatred the walls that surrounded me. The hours seemed as long as years. I repented a thousand times that I had buried myself here. But since grace has opened my eyes, all the scene is changed. Solitude looks charming, and the peace of the place enters my very heart. In the satisfaction of doing my duty, I feel a delight above all that riches, pomp, or sensuality could afford. My quiet has indeed cost me dear, for I have bought it at the price of my love. I have offered a violent sacrifice I thought beyond my power. But if I have torn you from my heart, be not jealous. God, who ought always to have possessed it, reigns there in your stead. Be content with having a place in my mind, which you shall never lose. I shall always take a secret pleasure in thinking of you, and esteem it a glory to obey those rules you shall give me. This very moment I receive a letter from you. I will read it and answer it immediately. You shall see by my promptitude in writing to you that you are always dear to me. You very obligingly reproach me for delay in writing you any news. My illness must excuse that. I omit no opportunities of giving you marks of my remembrance. I thank you for the uneasiness you say my silence caused you, and the kind fears you express concerning my health. Yours, you tell me, is but weakly, and you thought lately you should have died. With what indifference, cruel man, do you tell me a thing so certain to afflict me? I told you in my former letter how unhappy I should be if you died, and if you love me, you will moderate the rigors of your austere life. I represented to you the occasion I had for your advice, and consequently the reason there was you should take care of yourself. But I will not tire you with repetitions. You desire us not to forget you in our prayers. Ah, dear Abelard, you may depend upon the zeal of this society. It is devoted to you, and you cannot justly fear its forgetfulness. You are our father, and we are your children. You are our guide, and we resign ourselves to your direction, with full assurance in your piety. You command, we obey. We faithfully execute what you have prudently ordered. We impose no penance on ourselves, but what you recommend lest we should rather follow an indiscreet zeal than solid virtue. In a word, nothing is thought right but what has Abelard's approbation. You tell me one thing that perplexes me that you have heard, that some of our sisters are bad examples, and that they are generally not strict enough. Ought this to seem strange to you, 
who know how monasteries are filled nowadays? Do fathers consult the inclination of their children when they settle them? Are not interest and policy their only rules? This is the reason that monasteries are often filled with those who are a scandal to them. But I conjure you to tell me what are the irregularities you have heard of, and to show me the proper remedy for them. I have not yet observed any looseness. When I have, I will take due care. I walk my rounds every night, and make those I catch abroad return to their chambers. For I remember all the adventures that happened in the monasteries near Paris. You end your letter with a general deploring of your unhappiness, and wish for death to end a weary life. Is it possible so great a genius as you cannot rise above your misfortunes? What would the world say, should they read the letters you send me? Would they consider the noble motive of your retirement, or not rather think you had shut yourself up merely to lament your woes? What would your young students say, who come so far to hear you, and prefer your severe lectures to the ease of a worldly life, if they should discover you secretly a slave to your passions, and the victim of those weaknesses from which your rule secures them? This, Abelard, they so much admire, this great leader, would lose his fame and become the sport of his pupils. If these reasons are not sufficient to give you constancy in your misfortune, cast your eyes upon me, and admire the resolution with which I shut myself up at your request. I was young when we were separated, and, if I dare believe what you were always telling me, worthy of any man's affections. If I had loved nothing in Abelard but sensual pleasure, other men might have comforted me upon my loss of him. You know what I have done. Excuse me, therefore, from repeating it. Think of those assurances I gave you of loving you still with the utmost tenderness. I dried your tears with kisses, and because you were less powerful, I became less reserved. Ah, if you had loved with delicacy the oaths I made, the transports I indulged, the caresses I gave, would surely have comforted you. Had you seen me grow by degrees indifferent to you, you might have had reason to despair. But you never received greater tokens of my affection than after you felt misfortune. Let me see no more in your letters, dear Abelard, such murmurs against fate. You are not the only one who has felt her blows, and you ought to forget her outrages. What a shame it is that a philosopher cannot accept what might befall any man. Govern yourself by my example. I was born with violent passions. I daily strive with tender emotions, and glory in triumphing and subjecting them to reason. Must a weak mind fortify one that is so much superior? But I am carried away. Is it thus I write to my dear Abelard, he who practices all those virtues he preaches? 
If you complain of fortune, it is not so much that you feel her strokes, as that you try to show your enemies how much to blame they are in attempting to hurt you. Leave them, Abelard, to exhaust their malice, and continue to charm your auditors. Discover those treasures of learning heaven seems to have reserved for you. Your enemies, struck with the splendor of your reasoning, will in the end do you justice. How happy should I be could I see all the world as entirely persuaded of your probity as I am. Your learning is allowed by all. Your greatest adversaries confess you are ignorant of nothing the mind of man is capable of knowing. My dear husband, for the last time I use that title. Shall I never see you again? Shall I never have the pleasure of embracing you before death? What dost thou say, wretched Eloise? Dost thou know what thou desirest? Couldst thou behold those brilliant eyes, without recalling the tender glances which have been so fatal to thee? Couldst thou see that majestic air of Abelard, without being jealous of every one who beholds so attractive a man? That mouth cannot be looked upon without desire. In short, no woman can view the person of Abelard without danger. Ask no more, therefore, to see Abelard. If the memory of him has caused thee so much trouble, Eloise, what would not his presence do? What desires will it not excite in thy soul? How will it be possible to keep thy reason at the sight of so lovable a man? I will own to you what makes the greatest pleasure in my retirement. After having passed the day in thinking of you, full of the repressed idea, I give myself up at night to sleep. Then it is that Eloise, who dares not think of you by day, resigns herself with pleasure to see and hear you. How my eyes gloat over you! Sometimes you tell me stories of your secret troubles, and create in me a felt sorrow. Sometimes the rage of our enemies is forgotten, and you press me to you, and I yield to you, and our souls, animated with the same passion, are sensible of the same pleasures. But, oh, delightful dreams and tender illusions, how soon do you vanish away? I awake and open my eyes to find no Abelard. I stretch out my arms to embrace him, and he is not there. I cry, and he hears me not. What a fool I am to tell my dreams to you, who are insensible to these pleasures. But do you, Abelard, never see Eloise in your sleep? How does she appear to you? Do you entertain her with the same tender language as formerly, and are you glad or sorry when you awake? Pardon me, Abelard, pardon a mistaken lover. I must no longer expect from you that vivacity which once marked your every action. No more must I require from you the correspondence of desires. We have bound ourselves to severe austerities, and must follow them at all costs. 
Let us think of our duties and our rules, and make good use of that necessity which keeps us separate. You, Abelard, will happily finish your course. Your desires and ambitions will be no obstacle to your salvation. But Eloise must weep. She must lament forever, without being certain whether her tears will avail for her salvation. I had liked to have ended my letter without telling you what happened here a few days ago. A young nun, who had been forced to enter the convent without a vocation therefore, is by a stratagem I know nothing of escaped, and fled to England with a gentleman. I have ordered all the house to conceal the matter. Ah, Abelard, if you were near us, these things would not happen, for all the sisters, charmed with seeing and hearing you, would think of nothing but practising your rules and directions. The young nun had never formed so criminal a design as that of breaking her vows, had you been at our head to exhort us to live in holiness. If your eyes were witnesses of our actions, they would be innocent. When we slipped, you should lift us up, and establish us by your counsels. We should march with sure steps in the rough path of virtue. I begin to perceive, Abelard, that I take too much pleasure in writing to you. I ought to burn this letter. It shows that I still feel a deep passion for you, though at the beginning I tried to persuade you to the contrary. I am sensible of waves, both of grace and passion, and by turns yield to each. Have pity, Abelard, on the condition to which you have brought me, and make in some measure my last days as peaceful as my first have been uneasy and disturbed. End of Letter 5